Hey there, I'm Sam. And I'm Jace. We are the Lit Knitters. I don't knit. So grab some yarn, settle down in that armchair with a book and a TV, and cozy up to the fireplace, because it's going to be lit. All right, welcome back. Episode 5 of the Lit Knitters, Jace. We are back. We are back. Yes, we are. I'm excited for this episode. And unlike last episode, we have a guest with us here today. We have in the studio, Court Einfeld. Good morning. Who is none other than the brother of Jace. My brother. Yeah. brother. Yeah. yeah. So quickly, tell us a little bit about your dynamic, your brotherly dynamic between each other. Um, so I guess we're, we're 15 months apart. Wow. Slept in the same room for <laughs> 16, 17 years. Yeah. Wow. Um, slept in the same bed for like eight of those. <laughs> yeah. For... On, the, on the tail end of on those. The t- <laughs> was that the tail end? <laughs> was it actually the tail end? No. Oh, okay, good, okay. Yeah, okay. We, we shared it with our two younger brothers as well for, for those eight years. So. Solid. So, yeah. Look at that. You guys um, must know each other very well then. Yeah. 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 Well, we'll see how much of that we can dig out. And, and bring out in this episode. Family feud. Family. Yeah, we're not, we're not talking about family feud. That's not the TV <laughs> show we're going into today. But we also brought Court on as a guest today because Court, as a matter of fact, is a very accomplished graphic designer. In fact, Court is yeah. responsible for our graphic art for the Lit Knitters podcast. Very good. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Super good. <laughs> and so if you need any sort of graphic design help, Court is around. Uh, Jace, what's his, you know his social media, right? Yeah, so you can check Court out on I'm Court on Instagram. And also uh, he has he has an account on Instagram called Design Felt yeah. as well. You can also just look at my Behance. If you go on uh, Behance, you go to uh, des- the graphic design court, then or just look at my name. It'll come up. Yeah. We'll include some uh, links for Court's information in the show notes after this show, but we're stoked to have... Court here with us today because not only has he been an integral part of this podcast, not only is he Jace's brother, but he is in fact someone who loves and is very knowledgeable on the TV show that we're talking about today. So Jace, take it away. What is today's episode title? So today's episode title is Fake Fiction, The Things They Carried and Fargo. Fargo. Yeah. Things They Carried. So, let's jump into the knitting pattern, the segment of the show where we explain the connection, the common thread, if you will, between these two uh, pieces of, of fiction. And so, Jace, you're going to tell us a little bit about the things they carried. I mean, is I it will. fiction or is it not fiction? Yeah, We're about to find out. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about that, yeah. So, the things they carried is a kind of semi-autobiographical metafiction memoir, I guess. It's a, quite a quite a collection of sub-genres there. Yeah, <laughs> so it's it's like, it's... And that's kind of like with what Sam brought up earlier. Some people have kind of questioned this book, uh, like and it's, I guess, validity and its reality in relation to the, the experiences that the author, Tim O'Brien, had in Vietnam. So the book... The Things They Carried was published in 1990, and it links the experiences of a platoon of American soldiers fighting on the ground in Vietnam in a series of interconnected vignettes or short stories. And some have said it's a, a little episodic, like it's not 
super in, in chronological order. Yeah, it's kind of like a TV show yeah. as a book. Yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, it's, it's kind, of, kind of the same format you'd see in a lot of like more popular TV shows now, like, I don't know, like Breaking Bad. Yeah, or, or Fargo. Or even Fargo. Well, we'll get there. <laughs> don't worry, we'll get there. <laughs> so... Um, anyway, many of the characters in the, in this novel, short story, memoir, autobiographical, <laughs> metafiction piece of literature that we're going to be talking <laughs> about today, they are semi-autobiographical. Or are they? Mm. But they share similarities with figures from O'Brien's past memoirs about his time as a soldier during the Vietnam War. He also uses the names of real places and includes himself as the protagonist. This ambiguity and blurring of fiction and nonfiction in the novel has led many people to consider it to be a work of metafiction, like I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. And so for those of you who don't know what metafiction is, it's fiction that is fake. So it's it's fiction that, let's say, the author writes a story about themselves, mm-hmm. but it's all fictionalized. So if you know people like Jorge Luis Borges or Kurt Vonnegut, they, they insert themselves into their own stories. And as fictional as characters. As fictional characters. Like mm-hmm. one of my favorite moments of like a, a metafiction uh, book, it's in Slaughterhouse-Five by Kurt Vonnegut. This where is the second episode where you brought up second, Vonnegut. Yeah, I, I, I really like last Kurt time too. What is, what is going on with Well, you? I'm actually, I'm writing. Get I'm, some new material. Get, some, <laughs> nah, get off the stage. <laughs> no, I'm actually, I'm writing, I'm writing my term paper for my contemporary American uh, literature so paper. It's yeah, it's, I'm doing it on Slaughterhouse-Five. But like, so Kurt Vonnegut is, <laughs> you know, he's narrating this experience of Billy Pilgrim in this prisoner of war camp in Germany. And they're on the toilets, and everybody's just having terrible, terrible diarrhea. <laughs> and where, what kind of tangent is this? this I, I don't is even know. It is interesting, but it just kind of <laughs> like brings up this like point of like metafiction, but like, or just even just like very self-referential postmodern fiction, which I think that this this you know the things they carried it fits, fits very into much this, yeah. into it. No, I agree. But so Billy is like sitting. He's 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 waiting his turn to go use the bathroom, and. The narrator, Kurt Vonnegut, he brings readers' attention to the fact that he's one of the guys having diarrhea on one of the toilets. <laughs> he's saying, that was me. Yeah, I, was I was doing I was, that. I was I, one of those I guys. Was, I was the one holding you up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, so anyway, so like meta, it, it, this is a work of metafiction where it brings, like, it brings attention to the it. fact that this is a work of fiction. So yeah. along with that, like, the things he carried is dedicated to the fictional men of the Alpha Company that's, that's depicted in this story. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, the novel is, is presented as a fictional war memoir, but a fictional memoir that's faking it. So. Faking it is fiction. Faking it, it is fiction, yeah. Yeah. Well... Let's see if Court, you can draw out another Vonnegut reference when you talk about far about Fargo. Uh, no, <laughs> I don't think that's gonna happen. But so Fargo, Fargo is a dark comedy crime drama anthology. Just as many subgenres. There you go. Another <laughs> connection. Yeah. Whoa. Look at that. One um, more thread. So it's a dark comedy crime drama anthology series on FX based on the 1996 film of the same name directed by the Coen brothers, known for their films like Oh Brother Where Art Thou, Raising Arizona, and The Big Lebowski. They're known for their grittier, true-to-life narratives and dialogue. The show is primarily written by Noah Hawley, with Joel and Ethan Coen as the executive producers. Named after a town in North Dakota, Fargo takes place in the Midwest in states like North Dakota and Minnesota and deals with serial killers, crime syndicates, honest cops, concerned North Dakotans, and Minnesotans. Minnesota. Minnesota. (laughs) (laughs) And everyone else caught in the crossfire. 
The general kind-heartedness that is associated with Midwesterners is contrasted with the absolutely evil actions taken by the show's various antagonists. The first season takes place in 2006, mainly in and around the town of Bemidji, Minnesota. A loser and cuckolded Lester Nygaard, Martin Freeman's character, stumbles into the world of murders when he tells a mysterious, or Lorne Malvo, Lorne Lorne Malvo, Billy Bob Thornton to kill his childhood bully. The season follows Nygaard as he struggles to cover up his tracks and reconcile with being involved with murderers. It also follows the police officers that are tracking both Malvo and Nygaard. Dark as the story is, there are moments of hilarity that make the events that occur in the season all the more real. The second season takes place in 1979 in and around the town of Laverne, Minnesota. It chronicles the murder of the members of a crime syndicate by a butcher and his wife. It follows the dysfunction in the butcher's marriage as well as the conflict in the Gerhardt crime family (laughs) and the murders and their cover-ups as well as the police officers that are hot on their tail. The third season takes place in 2010 in St. Cloud Eden Valley and and Eden Prairie in Minnesota. This season follows Ray Stussy, Ewan McGregor, and Nikki Swango, Mary uh, Elizabeth Winstead's character, and their attempts to live a a better life than what they have. They do so through stealing a stamp from Ray's brother, Emmett, also played by Ewan McGregor. Some parent parent (laughs) trap action happening there. Yeah, with uh, (laughs) bald Lindsay Lohan as one of the characters. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Whoa. True to form, their actions are concealed and the seasons follow the consequences of their actions. With three seasons on Hulu, the directors are set to produce a fourth season set in 1950 with Chris Rock as the head of a crime, crime syndicate in Kansas City. <laughs> That's going to be great. Yeah, be fun. <laughs> the film opens with text that reads, This is a true story. The events depicted took place in Minnesota in such and such year. At the request of the survivors, the names have been changed out of respect to the dead. The rest has been told exactly as it occurred. The, follow, uh, the show takes it, this text and applies it to the beginning of the, each episode, questioning the reality of each episode. <laughs> I love that they do that at the yeah. each of, in each of the episodes. So, <laughs> so there we have it. We have two texts, well, one book and one show, each kind of pretending, well, the, well I guess the things they carried, <laughs> being based very much on true events, but pretending to be fake. And then Fargo, fake things that are being portrayed as being very real. It's very interesting. Wow. Fake fiction. All right. Now, thank you both for the that segment, the knitting pattern. We're now going to get into our second segment, getting down to the nitty-gritty. Let's get down to the nitty-gritty. So, first I want to talk a little bit about, I guess, you know, the impact that this fake fiction, this sort of kind of ambiguously real or fake kind of quality of the of the of the material whether or not we should trust it as being real or as being fictional and how that impacts some of the major themes of the of the of both of the works i think that kind of violence violence is probably the main a very very central kind of theme in both of those jace what do you think about you know the the impact that the things they carried's kind of fake fictionness how does that impact the violence and the the kind of the the way that readers in, encounter violence in the novel. Yeah, <clears throat> well, I guess with the the fact that it's shown as a book that's a work of fiction, like the very beginning mm-hmm. of of the things they carried, it says this is a work of fiction. So it kind of dispels the the idea that these events actually took place. So I think what that does to the violence is it kind of softens it a little bit because. 
you know, e even though there are a lot of very violent things that happen in the in the book, I feel like the, the fact that it's not, you know, presented as not real kind of makes the violence not real as well. Right. And it kind of like, I don't know, maybe cartoon, I like makes it cartoony. I mean, it might be yeah. the wrong, wrong term. It, it, but softens it, it, it softens it, it yeah. And it makes it like, in, in a way, I guess more... Easier to watch. Like easier palatable. to watch, yeah, e easier to watch. Like, I feel like even with like, I don't know, some violent movies, it's a lot easier to watch that violence if you know that it's fake, you know? Well, like like t 12 Years <clears throat> of a Slave, you yeah. know that movie's real. And like movies like uh, um, like Saving Private Ryan and stuff, mm -hmm. it's like it's easier to watch Saving Private Ryan. I feel like than Twelve Years a Slave because you you know those events took place, but you're like, okay, that didn't really happen to those people. Yeah. Um, but Twelve Years a Slave, you're like, that really happened. And yeah. It just mm -hmm. kind of makes you feel uneasy, but. Yeah, I feel I feel like you know, with what Court said, it kind of, I, I feel like people who. Once we know that it's, it actually actually happened to the specific per person, yeah. like, like the, the example Core brought up with uh, Saving Private Ryan, there probably wasn't there probably was a Private Ryan, but it, it was a, entirely fictionalized. But right. like with Twelve Years a Slave and that kind of violence, it's very real. Yeah. Very real. You know, it's coming from actual like journal entries and accounts from people. Yeah, I think in the that. things they carried, that especially comes into you know you know that happens a lot considering the fact that O'Brien includes himself in the story. Um, there's an interesting part where in the in the um, in the book, O'Brien or someone in the troop, I can't remember if it's O'Brien's character or not, but someone murders a Viet Cong soldier. I think it is O'Brien. I think it is O'Brien. Yeah, yeah. it's O'Brien who, who murders um, this Viet Cong soldier, and there's this really kind of vivid description of the Viet Cong soldier having this star-shaped wound in his head after O'Brien killed him. <laughs> and O'Brien keeps kind of recurring and recalling coming back to this kind of haunting sort of experience but then the story this section of the novel fast forwards to o'brien home after the war and his daughter asks him hey did you ever kill anybody while you were over there and his answer is yes and no which is so interesting and this kind of like the way that even his actual encounter with violence became fictionalized in his memory you know what I mean? And I think violence not only is portrayed kind of in a fictionalized way so as to soften it, but when violence occurs to people in those circumstances, they themselves have to fictionalize it in order to maybe deal with it. Yeah, that's definitely like easier, a coping you know, mechanism. Yeah, exactly. I think that's really kind of one of the tragedies about the Vietnam War, is, and that's something that I think O'Brien really unpacks in the story, is the way that these characters um, and the soldiers have to, in many ways, make violence absurd almost fictional in its believability in order to cope with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's lots of examples of that in the novel um, and in real life with just kind of obscure, crazy things that happened during that war. I think the Vietnam War was probably like the most obscure and absurd war that that's occurred. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I don't know. But in terms of Fargo, the same sort of thing I think occurs, you know. Um, any thoughts about Fargo and kind of its effect on how violence is portrayed and experienced. Well, I guess with like the same <clears throat> same kind of gist we were talking about how it you know it's a uh, fake it's a fiction a work of fiction going into it but um, that makes it, I feel like easier to watch whereas mm. if you knew if it was if it was uh, true stories you'd be like uh, don't I don't like know about that. this yeah. don't like that yeah um, but even though it does say it is uh, it is a true story. There are a lot of like aspects of the show that you're like, I don't know if that really happened, and then you're just playing with yourself the entire time with right. like, could this have ever happened? Like, would people do this to each other? 
where you're playing it's just kind of like it plays mind games with you the entire entire series yeah um, but the comedy element of that yeah. is really important too for a show like Fargo to situate itself in that very kind of ambiguously middle grounded space between pretending to be true stories retold but yet implying relying on the audience's kind of assumption that it is fake and that allows them to do a lot of kind of comic things with very dark material you know what i mean yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i just think that you know that that impact of you know the way that human life and just i guess especially you know not just in terms of the the characters of the stories themselves but also in from the viewer's perspective the the different values that is, are placed on humans based on kind of you know the violence that that occurs in the shows any other examples from fargo that you guys can think of um, instances so the, of this? I guess there's like, I don't know about Fargo, but like with the things that carry the little I read about it, the the characters after uh, a certain character dies, it was named Lavender. Yeah, it's Ted Lavender. Ted Lavender. Mm-hmm. After he dies, the soldiers use humor to kind of cope with their whole like, like I just witnessed death. Like I'd, mm-hmm. and it's just such a trivial thing for them, but they, it's a kind of a coping mechanism in that way where they're like, oh, he fell like a sack of bricks or something like that. Or yeah, they were laughing a lot about um, how he was peeing at the yeah, time. Yeah, he, he, was, like, he was zapped while zipping. Yeah. Yep. Really sad, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I think along with that, I, I think Fargo uses uses comedy, I guess like the darker comedy, to mm-hmm. to soften that blow. Because like you have, I, I guess the, an example from, I guess from, from the second season of Fargo, because I think th- this season of Fargo is a lot more, I guess, connected to the things they carry because it happens after the Vietnam War and around the same period and stuff. So one, one example, it's kind of a more, I guess, kind of gruesome example, but the butcher who has like, who has killed this member of the, of the crime yeah, family. Yeah, this one with like the youngest brother of the crime family. Kieran Culkin. Yeah. Kieran Culkin. Yeah. Macaulay, <laughs> Macaulay Culkin's little brother. Yeah. <laughs> so, so he, so the, the butcher decides that, you know, to get rid of the evidence of him killing this member of this crime syndicate, he's going to keep him in, he decides to keep him in the freezer and then slowly kind of grind, him grind him, grind him down to, to meet so that yeah, there's no evidence of yep. him being there. But there are moments where it's kind of it's kind of funny, except for a belt buckle. Except yeah, except yeah, like <laughs> like he's able to grind everything down except for like you know like yeah, little article of clothing. Belt, he gets belt, belt buckle, yeah. which in turn like helps them find out that he did kill him. And anyway. yeah, 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 that's yeah great. It's it's, mm-hmm. it's it's a pretty tense moment, but like it's just <sighs> funny because and I don't know, like for our listeners out there, it might not be as funny if you're not into dark humor, but <laughs> but the the police officer that is looking into the butcher, he is he doesn't notice anything as he's going to this butcher's place, but there is a finger that's on the ground from him chopping this guy Right, up. it's just right there. And so the finger is just right there. I mean, it's, it's funny because the, the, the officer doesn't notice it, and the butcher is able to kick the finger underneath the door. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. yeah, so I feel like they, they use kind of that, that really kind of dark, I guess, mortal, like, I guess the dark humor that kind of brings people's attention to mortality. Yeah. yeah. Do we have yeah. a clip of that? Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's cut to a clip of this of this actually this this part of the show. No, it's all right. It's on the house. Oh no, no, let me. So, no, I, 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 I got it. Oh, I, I got it. Hold on. You gonna get that? Yeah. 
It's just, uh, I'm almost done. Well, can you hurry up? I don't like being here by myself. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, I still gotta... You know, it takes time grinding a hole. No, I, I know. I, I just miss you all. No, I, I miss you too, hon. It's just... I'll make some oatmeal, okay? And we can have breakfast when you get home. Okay. I love you. Love you too. Bye. But it makes it very comedic. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. in a very kind of odd way that I don't think exists in very many places yeah. other than shows like Fargo. Really interesting, yeah. We're going to take a quick break um, to tell you a little bit about um, the social media that Jason and I are doing through the Lit Knitters. If you guys like what you're hearing on this episode or any of the episodes that we've done on this first season of the Lit Knitters, go ahead and give us a follow. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Lit Knitters Pod. Feel free to... Um, hit us up and follow us on those social media platforms. We also have an email address where you can shoot us any sort of feedback, questions, or suggestions for things that you think that we should talk about in the future. Um, that email address is litknitterspod at gmail.com. So feel free to let us know if you have any questions, and we love to hear what you have to say. Also, if you listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, anywhere you get your podcast, be sure to rank and review us. We'd love to hear what you have to think. Mm -hmm. Perfect. All right, let's get down, I guess, then into our kind of second point about these two shows, kind of stepping out of the thematics and kind of how this um, fake fiction impacts the kind of theme of violence. Let's talk a little bit about how these shows kind of impact the way in which we interact and construct kind of our, the truths and the realities that we live in today. And I guess a question that I think we'll start off with Fargo is, does kind of the fakeness of a show like Fargo make the content any less, I guess, true? You know, the fact that these things may have actually happened in the Midwest? I don't know. What are your thoughts, guys? So I think that the... I think it's makes it as true or any... Uh, or even more true than any other, like, I guess, historical fiction story you can think of. Cause, Interesting. Uh, so you think the fake, the fictional element of it makes it more true than, like, a documentary? Yeah, well, like, in the fact that, like, you you can just put yourself into it. Whereas a documentary, you're like, oh, this already happened. This so already it's happened. real in that sense. It's yeah. real in the experiential sense yeah. of I'm in this and I can really kind of sense and feel on a kind of mm -hmm. visceral, emotional level, what this would be like. Yeah. Cause even very, though it's not a true event, it's oh, very true to form to like how it, it was back then. They very, they're very like from crime syndicates, like Vietnam vets, grungy hair salons right. to even UFO like UFO <laughs> fascination yeah that like happened during that time it's very it puts you into it and you feel like you are experiencing that whereas a documentary you're like oh I'm just learning something nice yeah, <laughs> yeah something nice about the Vietnam War Vietnam you know? War. Ken Burns <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's such an interesting point I hadn't really thought of that before but that shows like Fargo create a more believable reality than historic sources and historic texts or historic documentaries. And I guess that rings really true with the things they carried too, because I think the things they carried has been heralded as one of the most accurate portraits of the Vietnam War. 
but it's didn't being, happen. Yeah. <laughs> didn't happen. No, but it's being. <laughs> it's all conspiracy. <laughs> oh man, we brought up UFOs. Now we're getting into some some shady territory. <laughs> um, but you get what I'm saying. That yeah. like it's been heralded as kind of the most honest portrayal of the Vietnam War, but it's lying. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's being heralded as the most honest and accurate kind of portrayal of what that experience was like, and yet it's saying I'm fictional even though it's very much rooted in true stories yeah. from O'Brien's past. you know what I mean? I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think Fargo and the things they carried is very true to form in relation to how Native Americans were treated mm. during that time. True. Um, you know, it, for example, in, in the things they carried, we've got the character of Kiowa. Mm-hmm. Who is, uh, he, he's a Native American Christian who is treated poorly because he's a Christian and he's a Native American. And in Fargo, and I think, you know, court... Court might know more, a little bit more about this, but like we've got the character of Hanzi. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's uh he's the friend of the. He's kind of like the adopted brother turned assistant for the Gerhardt family, right? Just kind of like a very very trustworthy, but kind of the servant. Yeah, just kind of doesn't right? say a lot, but does does the bidding of the family. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, he's he, but he is he's not just a like a Vietnam vet. He's a war hero. He's gotten like Purple Hearts, Medal of Honors, like all these things, but he still can't get the respect he feel like he deserves after the war. And I feel yeah. like that didn't happen even during the war. Like he, I'm sure his, his experience a lot with Kiowas was, but he comes and he still can't get the respect that he feel like he feels like he deserves. Yeah, I, I think we have a clip of that. We have a clip of, of, a, of an experience that, that Hansi has. In a bar. In a bar, yeah. Let's go ahead and cut to that right now. Water. Did you spit in this? What? Tequila. Pour it in front of me. Here you go, Chief. Didn't you guys try to start your own country a while back? Wounded me? What happened there? Didn't you feel like being Americans anymore? Not from there. Yeah, see, well, I'm not sure I want to serve alcohol to a man who doesn't want to be an American. How about a man who did three tours in Vietnam has got a purple heart and a bronze star? Who, you? You're welcome. Yeah, so I think this is very true to form in how even Vietnam vets generally were treated after the war. Like a lot of them, I, I think in the clip, the the bartender spits in Hansi's drink, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and I don't know how the how alcoholism is uh, viewed in in the things they carried, but there's a I guess a comedic kind of character in season two of Fargo as like Nick Offerman's character. Right. He's yeah. A, he's a obviously an alcoholic. Like can't live without being at least a little little drunk um but he does add that i guess comedic factor to the story but i guess that goes on it goes along again with the whole like playing with very serious things turning them into humor 
and how like that that story does a really well done, yeah. a really good job of that. Yeah. Well, wasn't wasn't Nick Offerman's character vet as well? Yeah, like, he was a Vietnam vet, yeah, vet. lawyer. Yeah, so I think yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because. Uh, like there are characters and the things they carried that kind of resorted to those kinds of things after the war. Definitely, like not not I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say alcohol. I don't think there's a mention of alcohol in the things they carried. But, there's no there's but the, yeah, there's there's definitely like with 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 vets coming home, they mm-hmm. they have to deal with the fact that they participated in the kind of the the more visceral violence mm-hmm. that happened during the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like we yeah we've got we've got characters like um, Nick Offerman's character in in Fargo. That they, you know, struggle. they yeah. struggle. They struggle with that, and like even even though he's kind of more of a comedic character, and it, it really it kind of rings true to the the fact that these soldiers that came back from Vietnam yeah. were very traumatized by the violence that they had to experience, and kind of I don't know. I guess their their experience with violence and trauma really kind of messed with their reality of how things oh, yeah. were. Definitely, yeah. yeah. I think I think a very kind of poignant example that's not comedic, that's in the things they carried is Norman Bowker the soldier who ends up committing suicide when he comes home is that really beautiful chapter that that section of the of the things they carried where he's driving around the lake in his pickup truck after the in his hometown after he um, has come home and it's a really beautifully written chapter i really yeah. it's quite heartbreaking but i mean um in terms of just kind of capturing the emotion of what that kind of burden and realization would be like i'd really recommend anybody to read at least that portion of the things they carried it was really beautiful but you're right i think this kind of playfulness between truth and reality and fictionalizing our own experiences of really difficult to to bear sorts of things can be dangerous and that definitely was dangerous for people returning home from vietnam and you know I don't, I don't know kind of how much danger there is in a show like Fargo. <laughs> you know, I guess that's kind of a weird way to say it. But I think that the, the thought that can be provoked from these types of shows is definitely worth kind of experiencing in order to arm us against maybe having to undergo those same types of, of challenges and struggles to bring it all, bring it all back together again, you know. So. I guess like as far as Fargo goes, it, it really depicts the relationships, and is, especially in season two, the relationships these vets have with others and how you can really see how the experiences that they've had in Vietnam has really, I guess, destroyed their ability to have relationships with even their, their children, like the, um, the oldest Gerhardt brothers, like Dodds or whatever his yeah. name is. Um, he has, he has little to no relationship with his daughter and no relationship with his family, like no, a relationship a very bad relationship with everybody and all these vets have very are very like hardened and yeah, distant distant to, to everyone distant, else and yeah. i think they do play on it very like i guess with a lot of humor with it but they you can very you can apparently tell that they're disturbed yeah within that. the yeah. human within the humor i mean there is very much mm-hmm. a level of kind of depth and emotional poignancy definitely i agree well, this has been a great discussion. Are there any kind of lingering thoughts about these sorts of things? I guess do we do we like the fake fiction? How do we I feel think about it's very it, guys? Entertaining. <laughs> really, yeah, very entertaining and also deep. If you put in the time and work to understand the the reason they go into these fake fictions and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, and I think along with that, kind of bringing it back to the question that we were talking about earlier, um, I think. Even though these are works of fiction, I feel like they really, really hit home with, I guess, human truths. Definitely. That, like, you know, violence is scarring, you know, Mm -hmm. and and war can be really difficult 
well, no, war is really difficult. Yeah. And that, you know, people who experience these sorts of events, it, is, it isn't, you know, like it, it doesn't just happen once and it's done. Like, you know, it, it's something that, that people have to deal with. And some yeah. people will use different kinds of co- coping mechanisms. Like some use humor, some use, you know, like Ted Lavender, they use dope. Some people yeah. like Nick, Nick Offerman's character, you know, hit, you know, they go to the bar, go to the bar. But I think it's it's important to recognize that that within these shows and within these kinds of books, there is a level of truth yeah. behind all the fiction that's being presented. Yeah. And I think O'Brien's mechanism was to write the things they carried, which I think is a very positive example, despite its kind of heavy content. It's a beautiful book. It's a really eye-opening and life-changing sort of experience to read something like that. And I think that sort of reaction, that sort of coping through these sorts of things, even in when it's put into that distanced sort of, this is fiction, even though it's about me, I'm going to say it's fiction, is, I think, really poignant and really quite beautiful. So, well, great, guys. I enjoyed this conversation. It was good stuff. As a reminder, everybody, go ahead and uh, wait around on our social media accounts. Follow us there to hear about our next and upcoming episodes. Also hit up Court um, on his social medias if you need any sort of graphic design help. And we will see you next time, Jace. As always, it's been fun. Oh, yeah. It's been fun. Court, thanks for being here. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Yep. And we'll see you all next time.